So I think what really excites me about the work I do is that we're um, taking this still somewhat novel perspective at aging, that we're not just looking at the decline model, but we're looking at the promotion, at the potential there is. These are the words of Dr. Natalie Ebner at the University of Florida. Dr. Ebner and her colleagues are engaged in finding the strengths of older individuals. Well, I'm Natalie Ebner. I'm an associate professor in the psychology department at University of Florida. And I study the aging brain with a particular focus on effective and social cognitive changes in aging. Welcome to the Design Your Age podcast. I'm Tuck Kamen. I'm a branding strategist, and I'm working on rebranding the way we will see ourselves as we age. I'm convinced there's a better landscape ahead in our lives, a new place where we will live, love, rediscover our own value, and more importantly, help others. I'm also an age instigator of sorts. I believe strongly that what's best about you never ages. The current model of belief that you're dead after, say, the age 50-something needs a radical think-lift instead of a facelift. We also need to find new narratives, new language, and banish the words senior, frail, elderly. Goodbye. The title of this episode is A New Owner's Manual for Aging. Why? Because I believe that's the work that Dr. Ebner is engaged in. In creating this new owner's manual, it's not all taking place in the traditional biological laboratory. Instead, it's about putting a microscope, so to speak, on the thoughts, actions, and possibilities of older, richly experienced individuals. So when we constantly hear about the declines that occur in aging, here's a twist. What could be your new powers that you didn't even know you had accumulated as you aged. Okay, get ready to jot down some notes to begin your new owner's manual. Here's Dr. Abner talking about how creating goals for yourself will change as you age. So, so I really see this as actually a very positive developmental change that people seem to be going through when it comes to their personal motivation. So, these are what we study is basically self-reported motivations and goals. So we ask people, what are your personal goals in different life domains? And then we also ask them to evaluate those goals in terms of their orientation. So are they more directed towards trying to get better at something, improving things, you know, outperforming yourself? Or are they directed at something that's more towards maintaining your current level? you know, and making sure that you're solid and stable? Or are they directed towards, you know, when, when losses and negative changes occur, sort of counteracting some of those changes, preventing further losses? And so what young adults do is they have a lot of um, goals that they classify as towards growth improvements, learning new languages, meeting new people, and all of this. That's, that's, Older and, adults... And, and that's younger mm -hmm. people. That's younger adults, yeah. Yes. And then older, middle-aged adults, actually already more than younger adults, and particularly older adults. So we had a lifespan sample with three age groups. Um, so older adults um, have more of these goals where they want to keep the status quo, 
maintain what they have and prevent losses. And what is really the interesting part about it is when you ask them about their well-being in the context of those goals, it's actually older adults reporting more well-being with these types of maintaining and loss prevention goals. So it is something positive, actually. Yeah. If they were trying to pursue these you know, ambitious <laughs> growth goals, but their resources decline with age, you know? I mean, that's the reality that, you know, age brings with it. You have across domains, you have resource decline. So if you keep trying ambitiously to go for something more and more, you might end up very unhappy. But if you actually adjust your goals to current situations, and not in a negative way, but in an almost like proactive way, you know? Now it's about maintaining, now it's about preventing losses because that's the reality of my life right now as an aging individual, um, then that can actually promote well-being. So that's kind of what we found in that study. Okay, so, so if you have an individual, let's say, that's an architect, that is perhaps their 80s, and they really want to design this beautiful building, they have to understand how much energy they have during the day to be able to achieve the goal. Yeah, that's a very sort of prominent idea in, in motivational and goal or, um, research is basically that there has to be an adjustment to what resources do I have, what's the environment I'm in. If I'm pursuing unrealistic goals, then I will not, not actually realize those goals and I will be very unhappy. And so basically the aging process brings with it this need for adjustment more so than, I mean, young adults experience that too, but you know, it, it's often more pronounced and more uh, pressing in, in old age. There's actually a theory um, uh, that is called Selection, Optimization and Compensation by Paul Baltus, and he basically suggests that there are three prim primary processes for life management or goal selection and goal pursuit. One is selection, so selecting the right goals. You know, that's already very important for realistic goal, <laughs> you know, setting and also for, for happiness, right? So selecting the right goals is one of the processes. Then um, optimization is the second one. It's kind of trying to become better at it. So being responsive to what are the opportunities and by practicing, for example, you know, playing a piano piece over and over, even if I get older, if I practice more, I might still be able to reach the same goal just by optimizing, by practicing more. And then the third process is compensation, which is basically if I can't do it anymore like I used to, I can still stick with the same goal, like let's say the music piece, okay? I can still play that music piece, but I might have to you know, slow, slow down a little bit right before the difficult part so that when it becomes really difficult, I play it slower, but people don't really, <laughs> the audience doesn't really realize because I've already, so I'm using a compensatory mechanism basically to still be able to play my music piece, reach my same goal, but not exactly with the same means, not exactly with the same, um, in the same way, but with the compensation. And to balance where you are in terms of your goals, you actually have two goals in place. One is about, and I guess it's not goals, but it's, it's constantly figuring out how to make sure that you don't end up disappointed or frustrated and really taking into consideration to be effective. This is what I'm just understanding. Mm -hmm. You've got to understand what your physical situation is 
to be able to be happy as you move forward. So it's basically an idea of this, like being proactive about the change that you experience. And part of it is understanding what is this change and be a real, being realistic about this change. Because yes, you can't do the same things in the same way anymore. When you get older and you have to adjust. So basically understanding you have to adjust and then also being okay with adjusting and having some ideas of how to adjust is important too. So knowing, you know, what are alternatives, what are compensation, uh, compensatory mechanisms and optimization strategies like rehearsing more or whatever that I can apply in order to still reach what maybe an adjusted goal, but still be able to reach a goal that I'm setting for myself. Yeah, you know, I can't help... Uh... My, my brain is like firing off saying it's like being an age astronaut and you're going to land somewhere and you've got to compensate for the loss of gravity and, right. and you know you can still move it across that lunar landscape but just realize that there are different forces at play but you know maybe what i can also add is um the concept of rigidity and and flexibility is of course very important in that context too and we do have a little bit of this but at the same time of course the flexibility and the low rigidity is one of the needed parts of being able to adjust. I mean, without those, adjustment doesn't happen. A brain, for example, when it ages, can be still flexible to adjust to all sorts of situations. But we still do see a lot of plasticity, for example, in the brain. We see a lot of plasticity in behavior as well. I mean, training studies clearly show that until a very old age, if you train, you can learn to do them, you know? Maybe not at the same rate, and not reaching the same level as when we were younger or as other younger people. But there is a lot of plasticity still in brain and behavior when we age. Is there a word I want to ask you if you've ever heard of called alter style? I think that means an alternative style that Matisse and Rembrandt did at later age to adapt to their physical capability. Yeah, so, I um, think an artist, so I have heard about this in terms of, you know, people argue that you might, you know, develop a different kind of creativity when you become older. And it makes some sense too. I mean, yes, biologically your brain might be limited in the flexibility and in the resources it has. And, and not just your brain, even for example, when you are an artist and you create something, you know, your motor, motor skills, your visual skills, everything kind of, you know, declines. But at the same time, it seems like people can um, adopt a new level of creativity and they also of course they have this world knowledge right I mean they have this long experience of like an entire lifespan <laughs> of having done certain things and, and interacted with other people so these these factors of course can contribute your own style of doing things I want to take this moment to highlight some points Dr. Ebner has made when it comes to making goals as you get older for example Consider the work of developmental psychologist Paul Batels. How to make adjustments when you go about finding a goal and achieving it. First, selection. Carefully consider what is your goal. What resources do I have to achieve it? Time, money, individuals to help? Am I passionate about achieving this goal? How would this goal improve my life? Second, optimization. Realize to become better at it, you need to practice. If it's a musical instrument, learning a language, solving mathematical problems, practice at it. Practice over and over. 
Third, compensation. Can't do it like you used to. Learn to adapt. Slow down a minute. Gauge your energy. Have patience. Watch your expectations. Determine what measures you need to help you achieve this goal. Now, I want to introduce you to this word, alterstil, our alternative style. It's a Dutch term that's used to describe a style of an older artist. And, it, and it's an artist that no longer conforms to any current or prevailing style. These are individuals that were seen as visionary. It's like the late style of Rembrandt, Titian, or when uh, Beethoven created these late uh, string quartets in his life. And, and a really wonderful example is Henri Matisse. He was in his 70s. He was in horrible health. He had had an intestinal operation. And then suddenly, uh, he abandoned oil paints altogether. And in this sort of new uh, physical state, he created new techniques based on painted paper cutouts. You know, his doctor said he had three years to live, but Matisse continued way past that. On paper with very bright colors, Matisse created entirely new contemporary design of art. And in this ambitious cut paper compositions that abolished the conflicts of color and line, they were, they were stunning. His creations became in great demand. So Matisse grew older in age, but his work was radically new and inspired others. Alter steel, or alter style. Now, let's get back to Dr. Ebner and hear about the definitions of wisdom as you age. So if I define wisdom as mostly understanding and like very cognitive and really, you know, like a hardcore complex process of integrating, then older diets are not going to show more wisdom. But if I, if I bring that effective component more in, and the flexibility and maybe also the mellowness with affect, you know, I think older adults, because their physiological response is mellower than for younger adults, that might make them sometimes wiser too, you know, they don't, their emotions don't spike up like crazy like younger adults do, you know, the hormones go down and every physiological re reaction in, in the body and in the brain basically mellows with age. And that might help with some of those emotion scenarios, you know, if I'm just not getting so fired up and so, or like totally sad or whatever, but I'm staying somewhere in this maintenance, in this stability kind of level. So that's going back to what we discussed in the beginning, you know, that the maintenance actually and trying to find something more in the middle and not the extremes is actually something that's probably extremely beneficial for many things. And it happens almost automatically with age because of some physio physiological processes. As you're so saying on. it's automatic or they've learned as a result of time? Both probably. So some of it, I think when I say automatic, I mean, some of it is because of the biology. You know, the biology doesn't let you, it doesn't allow you a huge range anymore. Everything's slower, blood flow is slower, so the response in the brain is slower because the blood flows slower and these kind of things. But at the same time, there's also regulation, emotion regulation that's affected by aging. So that's more what you asked, you know, how have they maybe learned to just deal with the situation differently? Right. Have learned different regulation strategies. 
better because they have been around for a longer time and they had to use them much more than a young person. You know, they have many more reasons to constantly regulate because negative things happen. And usually what, when we need most of the regulation is when negative things in our life happen. When something good happens, no one wants to regulate, right? Because it's great, you just want to experience it. Right, right. But as negative things kick in, you have to start learning ways of dealing with it, coping with it, regulating your affective response and so on. You're going to discover you have more advantages than you think as you age. If you learn how to better manage your expectations, energy, and learn about more ways to leverage the powers of your experience. You've done a lot in your life. And remember, you've overcome some extraordinary challenges. You'll probably need a little cheer of encouragement. As you hear more about Dr. Ebner's work, you'll understand that if you stay curious, tend to lean on the positive side of your beliefs, you'll find there's a lot of people out there ready to cheer you on. Here's what's more in store with Dr. Ebner. So I think what really excites me about the work I do is that um, but taking this still somewhat novel perspective at aging, that we're not just looking at the decline model, but we're looking at the promotion, at the potential there is. And this is still in science a relatively new perspective. I mean, it's been around for a little bit now, but it's, it's not been around forever. There was a very strong decline model. And just understanding actually, and even in everyday life in our research studies, understanding how much potential and capacity there still is, what are the aspects in aging that don't decline? Why do certain things not decline? You know, certain, certain cognitive processes, why do they not decline whereas others do decline? And what can we do for the ones that do decline to maybe you know, slow the speed of decline or even maybe prevent it. Let me ask you, because it sounds like you, you all are creating a new owner's manual for being older. Have you done any studies or heard of any studies that help uh, older individuals regain a sense of self-empowerment or give them a little bit more confidence? Is there, is there a way that we can help older individuals kind of recognize that they're not as as, um, you know, they're not as bad as they think they are. Mm -hmm. because so, I mean, actually some of my earlier work, I was doing work on uh, physical activity and aging. This was actually all the way back when I was still in, in Germany. And it's still the case. I'm not doing this work anymore, but there is a lot of work on physical activity and aging. And it actually also, for example, looks at how does physical activity relate to what is, like you say, sense of coherence or internal control beliefs? Do I feel like I'm externally controlled versus do I have internal control of what's happening with me in my life? And there is good evidence suggesting that someone who's physically active and the same is true for like being cognitive active, just by doing it and by doing it over and over again, you actually learn that you have some control over what's happening. Okay, maybe not full control over everything and you have to again be able and willing to adapt here and there. But it seems like some of probably the biological um, factors that come into play when you are physically active, bringing more oxygen in the body, you know, exercising your muscles and all of this also contribute. 
but it might also to the sense of um, control but it might also be that it's a lot of it is just the attitude of i can actually still do this so that means i'm actually an, an active player in the in society you know i'm an active player well, in so my you're life you're saying that physical activity helps it helps lift us somewhat yeah and i mean it, yeah exactly like confidence in yourself and of course it also practices the actual skills i mean it's both of it right i mean it gives you more strength again and it practices the actual biological foundation but then at the same time you know it gives you sort of this this boost also um psychologically and i mean this is really sort of i mean there were these like way back old theories of aging, of disengagement, you know, you're disengaging from, from the world, you're getting ready for death, for death and, right, you know, you're right. not hanging out with others anymore, and it's like totally getting away from this, of course, now with study, or with research fields like physical activity, training, uh, cognitive training. We talked about the aging stereotype, negative aging stereotype, and how older adults adopt this just as much or even more than younger adults. So lots of these stereotypes might lead people to lead certain lives that are not necessary for an older adult. You can do it differently. And if they don't even know about it, then it's not a choice for them. So that's why I really think it's important to educate people about the aging process and about the potentials that might be there. Maybe not for everyone and not, not everyone's interested, but you know, at least knowing about it. We'll return to our episode a new owner's manual for aging on the Design Your Age podcast in a few moments. But I want to tell you about another podcast that is coming in May. It's called Tales of the Future Older. Imagine being transported to the future where most of the challenges we see in aging today have been solved. What would that look like? How would that be designed? Well, Tales of the Future Older introduces you to a better world of aging in the future. You'll still get information on how to create better later years, meet thought leaders in aging, but you'll be taken on an adventurous ride with a cast of interesting characters, including a mystical librarian, Miss Honoraria Glitterax, a Petra centaur named Ronnie, that's a centaur with wings, the most brilliant inventor scientist imaginator across 3,010 galaxies named Interstellar Inkleman, an inquisitive 10-year-old Timmy Throckmorton, a number of villains including Father Time, and your host, Dag Copperston. Stay tuned. It's a new way to design your age in the adventure podcast, Tales of the Future Older, coming this May. Now let's get back to our interview with Dr. Natalie Ebner. So have you examined any individuals that you, that you look at and you go like, how is this person at this age so positive? We see a lot of these extremely um, physically fit, cognitively fit, super interested and super positive older adults. Um, generativity very pronounced in older adults. That's another thing that really is tell a me, big tell potential. Me you said, you said gener generativity, basically. So there's different... Um, so generativity is this idea of it's not just about me it's about giving to others wow, it's the, yes, about giving yes. to society and this is something that really seems to pick up with aging so you know when, when you become sort of um, a parent it's a biological generativity right you're trying to do the best you can for your ch ch child 
But when you become older, you start developing more of this professional generativity made. As a professor, for example, I really care about my PhD students and my postdocs. I have to make sure that. But as you're getting older, you actually start also having more of this, I have to care for society. I have to make sure that something you know, outlives me. If I'm not there anymore, I need to make sure I've given something. So we're seeing sort of some forms of generativity increasing with age. And some of that, of course, also comes through when it comes to study participation in research. Oh, like, yes, they really want to contribute to science. And they have a lot of fun doing this. I had a question uh, because when someone asked me, what was the name of that movie? Tucker, who is that person? And I'll go like, ah. So I'm thinking what's colliding with my memory is my anxiety to try to remember. And I'm, mm -hmm. Is that true? You know, there's a total parallel to this. When you think about students, when they have to take a test, they know everything. The moment they have to take the test, they have these irrelevant thoughts. And there's actually some evidence that in aging, you are having more of these irrelevant thoughts, okay? There's less of, an, an, less of a capacity to suppress um, brain activity, and, you know, those might generate some of those thoughts that are not relevant for a task. And I totally agree with you that it's like, oh, I really have to make sure I'm remembering this. And in aging, also because of this negative aging stereotype, you know, when it comes to memory, that we, they already think everyone thinks they don't remember everything. When there's one instance when really they don't remember it, then they, like, you know, themselves and everyone thinks, oh, the stereotype has been fulfilled here again, you know. So I think, of course, these anxieties, um, and you can tell this when participants are coming to, uh, to a research study that is about memory, they are nervous. Like, they are nervous to come in to do it. And you have to be very careful with what kind of feedback you're giving people because there's research out there that when you give negative feedback about um, cognitive performance, cognitive performance goes further down, especially in, in, in aging. So yes, these anxieties, so, so, but they're not just aging specific. We have them in a younger adult uh, or in children as well, you know. So is, is, it, is it, is it yeah. sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy? For example, I'll go to these things at... Uh, the Apple store they have, at the Apple store they have these things called studio hours. And I'll be sitting across from someone, uh, a man or a woman that is similar to my age, and, and then of course there's older individuals, and they say, you know, I'm just so old. And I'm thinking, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy when people say this type, it's not even a prophecy. I mean, I'm saying uh -huh. that they're making this statement, and it's sort of, it, 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 I feel like it's, uh, it's damaging. Mm -hmm. So I think it is to some extent a self-fulfilling prophecy, but at the same time, there also is some reality to it. You know, no, we're basically no, yes. coming back to that point. Yes, you are probably more likely to not remember the name when you get older. And there's many explanations in the brain, um, you know, that, that tell you why this is the case. You know, I mean, there's this something that we call the default mode network, which is something that you should really not have very active during doing a specific task. Older adults cannot suppress it so much. So it's going to impair their performance on a specific task. So, you know, so I think it's both, but at the same time, I mean, if you, if you acknowledge it too much and if you let the whole world know you won't, that, that makes it worse. You know, usually it's not, I would say, you know, personally, I would say it's not a good idea to 
announce all your weaknesses right, <laughs> because right. then everyone's going to look exactly for those weaknesses. You don't have to hide them, but I think you should also not announce them too much, but just kind of behave naturally around them. It's kind of going back to the point we had earlier that it's, it's really about accepting. Get in, while you're older, it's important to get in to understand how to accept these certain states that relax you, that you can, you know, it helps you uh, perform at a better level. It's almost like, a, you know, if you had like a little robot that whispered in your ear, now is a good time to think about eating. Now is not a good time to think about eating. Now is a good time, you know, so I'm saying it either would monitor brain activity. I mean, I think what you describe is actually, again, not only true for older adults, I think it's true for everyone, but it might become more prominent and more frequently needed as we're getting older and as we're more challenged because we have less resources. To really make sure it goes back to the idea of compensation again for me and about being flexible and adapting. Um, are there situations where I can function better? And if that's the case, I should make sure that I'm creating a situation that is ideal for my functioning. And it might take something different when I'm getting older, you know? I might not be able to be in a bar and do three things at the same time and be as cognitively um, excellent as, you know, I have to adjust my environment as well in order to perform well, but also in order to do this already naturally to some extent, right? See, but I think, I think again, yeah. being more aware and yeah. trying to actively seek out situations where I can do things well still. Thank you, Dr. Natalie Ebner, Associate Professor at the University of Florida an extraordinary researcher in the Department of Psychology. Listeners, I believe Dr. Ebner's work and insight add greatly to what I call a new owner's manual for aging. If you would like to contribute to Dr. Ebner's work, see a link on my website at designyourage.com for this podcast. This special episode of Design Your Age has been brought to you by those keystroke angels and support of listeners. If you like this podcast, please give us a five-star rating at Apple iTunes. Leave a comment of what you'd like to hear. That's how we continue and continue to get sponsors. Listen this May 2019 for our new podcast, Tales of the Future Older. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, tuck at designyourage.com. That's tuck at designyourage.com. And this is Tuck Kamen with a reminder, what's best about you never ages.